Welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas, and we have with us podcaster extraordinaire, Martin Willis. Yo. So are you back in the country? I am back, and you know, it is cold as heck. I was in (laughs) 90-degree weather in in Russia, and you know, 75, 80 in Austria, and now it is 50 to 60 degrees. You're kidding. No. It's already that cold there? Yeah, I, th- I think, I don't know. Wow. Yeah, we're having some weird weather. And, hmm. you know, the whole East Coast is uh, bracing, you know, south south of here, I'm bracing for Florence, the uh, hurricane. Mm-hmm. So we may get some weather from that. But we will have, I looked in the weather, we will have some warmer days coming. Wow. For, yeah, it's almost time to put the hosers on, you know? Hey. What word are hosers? I thought that was a person, like it's a knucklehead. You call someone a hoser, I thought. I didn't know it was actually well, a, a garment as well. Oh, yes, it's a garment, but they call each other hosers. I don't uh, know exactly why. Yeah. Okay. You know, I might be totally wrong on that, but that's what I think it originated, the whole thing originated from. Hmm. Yeah, you hoser, you. So, yeah. uh, welcome back to the country. Um, how was Vienna? I mean, I hear it's awesome it was absolutely beautiful it really was it's a it's a city where um the only thing you know i'm not a smoker and i don't like cigarette smoking a lot Mm. of it seems like 50 or 60 percent maybe even higher of the people smoke there everywhere you go wow cafes you name it um but that being said uh, eduardo was a wonderful person um really enjoyed um hanging out with him uh very interesting guy and Mm -hmm. also um, him, along with other people I got to talk to, they love it there. They love living in that city. Hmm. Um, they love the country and love the city and would live nowhere else. And uh, But it is absolutely beautiful, beautiful architecture. Yeah. And uh, it, just, it was just really a lot of fun. It's not surprising because people love it there. They talk about how wonderful it is there. And um, that is so cool that you got to meet him because he did these great posters for us. And, of course, yeah. We're all such fans of his work. Uh, great graphic design. Yep. And he's actually from Brazil and lived in England wow. for about four or five years and then moved 10 years ago. He moved to um, um, Austria and he just says it's the best place in the world. He just loves it. Wow. So, so remember, yeah, everybody, I, he did a poster for you. He's done one for me. I know he's done one for Ryan Sprague. And that's right. You can purchase. Uh, the T-shirt with the poster he did for Open Mind GFO Radio uh, at our store. So if you're watching this on YouTube, actually, you'll see those uh, T-shirts right here uh, under the video. 
For the rest of you, you can just uh, click the links because there's links in the show notes. There's links all over. Or if you go to openminds.tv, you'll see a link on the upper right for uh, branded products. And if you go there, you'll see the poster. So really cool stuff. That was a really good idea to make a T-shirt out of that. I would have never thought of that. Well, wow. you know who made me think of it was Ryan. Ryan uh, made a comment that he made a T-shirt out of his, and ah. it was selling really well. And I thought, that is a great idea, because you can also get stickers. Um, and I've sold a couple of those, so it's like, yeah, it gives people wow. the opportunity to enjoy his work, uh, which I know he uh, he loves. Yeah, well, uh, maybe I'll just have to fall in line and do the same thing. Yep. So uh, what is also funny about it being cold out there is I uh, have just gotten back from Las Vegas on a top secret project, which I'm going to tell you all about. Uh, So it won't be so secret, but many aspects will still be secret. But I'll I'll tell you about that in a a second. But here in Phoenix, of course, too, it's uh, well over 100. So it's still so hot that it's funny Mm. to think about that. Although I'll be at Devil's Tower this weekend. And uh, for their UFO event, and last year at this time, because uh, it's on, on the same same period of time, it was very, very cold, especially at night freezing as we went out with Mark D'Antonio to look at stars, which we're really mm. excited to do again. I'm just going to have to be sure to bring my super warm clothing. Now, do people ever talk about actual UFO sightings in that area? Yes. They do. Wow. But I don't know that it's like... There's more than usual, but uh, so but you know people talk about UFO sightings all over the place. Mm. Mm. Before we get Just, further, I want to yeah. tell people who I've got as a guest uh, today, and that is Chris O'Brien. So of course, Chris mm. O'Brien he runs the website Our Strange Planet. He uh, has written a lot about the San Luis Valley of Colorado where a lot of mystery right. has happened. And, of course, listeners who have been with me for years uh, know that I've, I've had my own experiences there, and that's where my family comes from. And um, so Chris and I have been talking about this on the show for, for a very long time. But uh, he's got something really cool going on. It's called the UFO Data Acquisition Project that he's beginning in the San Luis Valley. And this is not too dissimilar from what other people have said that they want to do, uh, including Mark D'Antonio with UFOTOG or uh, another group of researchers, some of whom are with To The Stars or worked with Bigelow that have this organization called UFO Data, where they wanted to Mm -hmm. take cameras and other, uh, you know, sensing devices to be able to grab data uh, while there are UFO sightings and or, you know, triangulate these cameras so they can get video of these UFO sightings. What the difference is and what's more exciting about what Chris is doing is that he's actually rolling. He actually has finished his devices. He's mm-hmm. constructed them. He's got a couple he will be deploying here soon. And he does have a GoFundMe to uh, raise some money to build a couple more, but he's also made these very affordable. So it's a very practical project. It's something, you know, we've been waiting and, you know, I hopefully I don't upset anybody. We've been waiting a long time for these other projects to come up with something and they've been working and working and working and Chris He's like the the horse that races up from the race uh, from behind and wins the race. He's the first out of the gate, and uh, I'm really impressed with what he's put together. 
Yeah, yeah, I talked to him a little bit about it. He he actually visited me here in Maine, and uh, cool. we got yeah, we went out on the lake in my boat, uh, which actually broke down in the middle of the lake, and we were stranded. <laughs> You're kidding? <laughs> no, but he saved us. Uh, he was uh, he was pretending to be a pirate. He was acting like a nut. And standing on the bow, <laughs> up on the bow with the two life preservers, waving his arms back and forth, someone someone actually came and saved us. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my saved, gosh. Saved the day. You have very- a lot of funny stories like this where things seem to go wrong. Um, <laughs> I'm proud of it. Well, you know, the the boat was such an easy fix. It, it just took two seconds to fix it, and I just couldn't figure it out at the time. But anyway, um, that is you know, so it was, funny. It was memorable. I will say that he's really oh, a character. Yeah. Oh he's, yeah, he's a lot of fun. He is yeah. a character, no doubt, and he'll be there uh, this weekend at the Devil's Tower as well. So uh, it's going to be cool to see him uh, doing his talk mm-hmm. about this project. So everybody will be able to hear about that. And I fully endorse this project. I really think uh, that Chris is someone who's trustworthy, that he's already created these things and he's going to be rolling. So I think that this is a good place for people to um, help out if they have a few dollars because I think that this is an effort that will be fruitful. But we'll hear more about it um, coming up here. Yeah, and I do do agree. Chris, just from him staying in my guest house for a while and all that – very, very trustworthy and honorable guy. So if anyone's thinking about yeah. um, donating, he's you can feel very comfortable about that. Yeah. He can be ornery. He's definitely yeah, got Yeah, but a, he's, still, he's still a very honest guy. Yeah. He's very honest. Yeah. Honest, ornery. Honorary, but honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. And he's he's not shy. He knows he can be ornery, and he's... Uh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's get into some UFO news. What do you got for me, buddy? Well, I got from our good old friend, Louis Elizondo. Uh, there's an article on uh, medium.com, and it's really a great article. I hope people will get a chance to read through it. Uh, why, identi- why unidentified aerial phenomena are national security risk and also an opportunity for progress. That's the title of his, um, his article here. And so he basically talks about a career's a career's worth of intelligence work for the U.S. government has taught him one key lesson. National security is a lot like playing a game of chess. You have to anticipate your opponent's every move in order in order to remain a step ahead. So, um, And disclosing your strategy will be used against you, but if you recognize certain opportunities, you can win the match. So he basically talks about um, when he was getting involved in the advanced, the Advanced Aerosmith Threat Identification, AATIP, um, and um, he worked as, uh, uh, you know, with the team to assess whether, um, you know, these were uh, actually a threat, and he just kind of puts it in a, a familiar way of like a board game and what they had to do, the, the back and forth, um, but um he also says there are risks in keeping that information classified. Say the person who first learned how to harness the fire never shared it with the next generation or the person who invented the telescope threw it away when he was done using it. And what if the creator of the wheel decided it was too labor intensive for others to build and decided to forget it? And I get exactly what he's saying. And oftentimes I wonder, you know, like if a certain person was never born, 
you know, like Einstein, what if Einstein was never born or, you know, where would we be now? Some people just absolutely shape um, where we are in our future and, and all that. Well, as he goes on to say, as a species, we're meant to evolve uh, and we're needed to uh, we're needed those advancements to get where we are today. Reports of strange crafts with seemingly unexplic- unexplicable properties have been circulating within the U.S. government for at least 70 years which suggests it's not going away. There's something out there. And declassifying certain information about UAP UAP and sharing it with the public could lead to new technology discoveries, new forms of medical research, and a broader view of how humanity understands reality. So, I mean, he he makes so many good points in this. Have you read through this, actually? Oh, yeah. I've read through and dissected and reread different parts because... I think this article is very important, and I do have it um, on, uh, I guess, at some an update or at least a little clue for people, uh, some behind the scenes. I do know another article is coming, uh, but what I love about this article, first of all, I think he's right, right on. I mean, he makes some really good points here, uh, including at the end getting into, you know, if the government doesn't share information, and this is a, a point that Jacques Vallée has made, even when he did his UN talk back in the 70s. Hmm. He says, uh, essentially, uh, just this sentence, what Elizondo said, secrecy empowers people selling their snake oil and YouTubers profit from peddling their ill-informed narratives about UFOs. So pretty mm. strong statement. He, he, mm-hmm. we, he went on and said, soon people start believing in Elvis uh, living on mothership, just as they once believed <laughs> you could fall off the edge of the earth. So the point is, if, if we're, they're being too secretive, he's trying to explain why they would want to be secretive uh, in that we don't want dangerous information getting to the enemy. But at the same time, he's saying that we still need to uh, reveal some information because uh, it's important for the world to grow, um, like you, the point you made with Einstein. So I agree with these points that he's making. Uh, this is also he. There are a number really of, of really important statements in this article. Another one is since the government views unidentified aerial phenomena (UAPs) as a potential national security issue. They're secretive by necessity. They don't want to reveal any information to a potential enemy. That is a very, very important statement coming from, you know, someone who investigated UFOs for the government. Um, Mm -hmm. He's saying, first of all, that they do see it as a potential threat. And second of all, as a threat that that requires uh, a potential threat that requires secrecy. Um, And why? And I think that uh, for us researching maybe that's not news but it's it's a statement it's a fairly official statement you know uh Mm -hmm. which is very important we haven't had something like that of course nick pope says similar things because he worked for the mod investigating ufos in fact nick pope says very similar things to elizondo throughout because they they have these similar backgrounds but uh and we get more insight into how governments militaries you know uh react to this phenomena or uh, deal with it. And so it's as much a conversation to the public as I think it is to his colleagues as to why we need to at least be talking with 
uh, the public about this and sharing some information with the public. Um, and hopefully more information will come out. But, uh, yeah, what a great article, I thought. Right, right. And, you know, I've heard Stan Friedman say something similar along the lines like, um, you know, we wouldn't want if we were able to back engineer, we would not want that in enemy hands. And so I, I get that part of it, too, if there's some type of parallel to that. I mean, is he is he stating anything along those lines? Not necessarily back engineering, but I know one of the things um, to the stars has claimed is that they would like to sort of back engineer by how something is, you know, operating. Um, and I, I can't quite understand exactly what they mean by that. Did, did you did you have any more information on that? Back engineer how the the objects are operating. Yeah, by just by observing. That's kind yeah. of what To the Stars has claimed they were planning on doing. Yes. In fact, you know, a lot of different groups have claimed to have done that. Um, in fact, Stanton Friedman was hired uh, for a project ran by Bob Woods. And I can't remember the company. I think it was Lockheed but uh, it, or it was Martin Marietta. It was one of the large defense contractors. And they essentially had told Bob Wood okay, you're into UFOs, start a project where you try to figure out if you can glean any technology from these UFOs. So it's a big deal, you know, that a private corporation would do this um, publicly. And uh, who knows, private corporations may be doing this non-publicly. Of course, Bigelow has done something similar. But a lot of the move-on people, such as John Schusler, who was a NASA engineer, they felt the same. What can we learn from observing these phenomena? And so they have observed them, and there are things that they feel that they have learned. I think Elizondo's talked about this a little bit. He doesn't like to get too much into it because he says, first of all, I'm not a physicist. Second of all, um, it's speculative. Uh, mm -hmm. But what they can do is observe, um, yeah, just by observing the performance observing the way something maneuvers um, and observing potential um, effects such as electromagnetic effects uh, mm, that right. physically they have on things and or, um, you know, by observing potential like auras, you know, a lot of people talk about these things having sort of a, a halo of energy yeah. around them um, and that can be, uh, give them clues. So, from the observations that they have, including the videos which have been released, that I know they do feel that they have been able to glean. They have some um, theories that uh, they want to move down, and these theories fit their theoretical um, theories uh, as to how you know anti-gravity may work. And hmm. so, or at least uh, anti-gravity type of effect. So, um, or I guess a propulsion that, yeah, it does give them clues to uh, technologies they may be able to develop or at least helps them head down a road. You know, uh, and on this point, even with Star Trek, Star Trek was a television show. Mm -hmm. But the reason we have, and there has been studies, there have been uh, lectures on this, the reason, you know, the technology we have is similar to Star Trek is not that necessarily Star Trek was, um, uh, 
insightful into where we were headed. It was more that the engineers were inspired by the technologies, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that they they created in Star Trek. And so engineers moved towards creating those things. And so fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and that is an interesting phenomenon because that would be the question. Wow, they were really good at predicting the future. Well, no, they were actually really good at shaping the future. So um, mm-hmm. observations or even you know creative brainstorming uh, or entertainment can influence the evolution of technology. So, yeah, certainly the observations. I think that's an interesting thing to think about too because if the if we are um, observing advanced civilizations, then they would likely be aware because that's a big deal with us. You know, when we're, Mm -hmm. uh, when scientists are um, um, examining a a phenomena, you know, it's documented that there's an observer effect. The observer affects what they're observing. And Mm -hmm. so uh, they will they should be aware of that. So they should be, uh, they sh- it would make sense that they would know that they're having an effect on us. Interesting, huh? Yeah, it's really interesting. Something. And there's also, To the Stars released uh, the, it, it's kind of condensed, and uh, but uh, they released his MUFON, Elizondo's MUFON talk. Yes. And mm-hmm. I know some people thought this was boring, and I'm not sure why, because I, I don't get it. I mean, what, he is doing is talking about how the government uh, looked at the UFO phenomena, how they tackled it, how they broke it down and how they decided they needed to investigate and why. And I mean, it's extraordinary insight into, you know, how the government would tackle this issue. Um, And it's great insight into how uh, a professional way in investigating this, especially from people who have resources. I mean, it's extraordinary that we've got this guy, after decades of being told that the government doesn't care about UFOs, we've got this guy who worked at the Pentagon doing this stuff, giving us this incredible information. And uh, these these are amazing times. You know, a lot of researchers, yeah. I know George Knapp feels this way as well, A lot are just like, Wow. You know, this is amazing mm-hmm. that this is happening right now. And sorry, real quick, uh, I did get to, I've got, oh, my secret project. Oh, geez, we only have a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. so I better get that in. The secret project was in Las Vegas. Uh, essentially, it was for a friend and family premiere of Hunt for the Skinwalker. So I did mm. get an interview with Jeremy and an interview with George Knapp. That will be posting um, on Den of Geek and on Open Minds. And uh, so we've got a lot of stuff to hype up the movie. But the movie's great. And um, so uh, it was really cool to to see George and all of those guys. I but um, mm-hmm. yeah, even more insight into how weird, you know, these government investigations got. Yeah. Yeah, I know there was something revealed, too, that the government was actually involved in the research there. Yeah. Which, now, uh, really, kind of news. that was not revealed here so much. Like I've been talking about this because George Knapp really revealed this, but it was very, it was hidden somewhat in an article um, on KLAS. He talked about how uh, we just discovered that this, this government program was centered here 
in Nevada. And what he was talking about was Bigelow. So he revealed that um, this cooperation had been going back for years and included research such as the Skinwalker Ranch. So really, Mm -hmm. that was the first kind of outing of that. And right. uh, but they get more into it in this film, and this film is really, you know, outing that or discussing that in a bigger arena. But you're right; that's what also makes this film so significant. Is that you know, the Skinwalker Ranch? It turns out was funded by the government. Yeah, amazing. Mm-hmm. Yep. All good stuff, boy. Yeah, uh, boy. This uh, this news thing went by really fast today, didn't it? It did. It just about out of time. I know it flew, and it's such exciting news. But I guess we'll just talk about more news next time. But I guess we are out of time, so we need to get to our interview. But once again, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure, and you know that. Yes. Well, I'm glad you find it that way. <laughs> it is for me as well. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into our interview with Chris O'Brien right after this break. And welcome back to Open Mind UFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am happy to have back on the show Chris O'Brien. Hello, Mr. O'Brien. Uh, good to be back. Yes. And it's exciting what you're working on and for several reasons, but we'll go ahead and, and introduce that. But so... Of course, your specialty, and some people may have forgotten, I don't know, because uh, uh, you, it's been a while, you know, one of your earlier research and what you really got known for is this San Luis Valley, which in Colorado, which is pretty strange, um, almost like a big skinwalker ranch. <laughs> yeah, supersized. Yeah, supersized. <laughs> so maybe you could tell people about the valley. Well, yeah, it is uh, America's best-kept paranormal secret uh, by by far, leaps and bounds. Um, it sits at a uh, an average height of about 7,500 feet, and it's uh, geologically about 145 miles long, 70 miles wide at its uh, widest point. kind of looks like a giant football mm-hmm. uh, flattened out, but surrounded by... <laughs> You know, eleven, twelve thousand to fourteen thousand foot high mountains, and um, it sits right there at the bottom in the center of of Colorado, right of, right at the border, and at the very southern end of the valley. Of course, is the world famous uh, New Mexico art colony of Taos, uh, with the Taos Pueblo, and that's about as far north as the Spanish got in the fifteen and sixteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. Um, before uh, <laughs> spending 200 years uh, getting the nerve up to go north into the valley. <laughs> I moved there in 1989. Uh, I knew about the valley. Uh, I just happened to arrive there. Coincidentally, I'd moved out from uh, the East Coast to, to Santa Fe, and I just I instantly didn't like living there in Santa Fe. Uh, kind of the universe was telling me that it wasn't right for me. I saw two fatal car accidents and a guy get hit by a bus. Oh, it was just... Really, really not good. Uh, you know, the, all the signs were that I, 
<laughs> you should look for somewhere else. So my girlfriend and I uh, had friends that lived up in Crestone, this cool little mining town up in the San Luis Valley. And they had an extra couple of bedrooms. And they said, why don't you come on up and check it out? And, you know, if you don't like it, there's plenty of other places around here you might like, uh, Pagosa and Walsenburg and other places. And I ended up living there for 13 years. And starting in 92 through 2002, when I moved out, I did a 10-year investigation of the valley that resulted in three books. Uh, one was a bestseller, uh, The Mysterious Valley. And I really dug into uh, just the most uh, bewildering and amazing array of paranormal events, uh, I think unrivaled anywhere in the United States at least. There's a variety and intensity of unusual, unexplained experiences and reports there uh, that's unrivaled anywhere in the country. Everything from hundreds of UFO sightings uh, over the time period, um, dozens and dozens of cattle mutilations, flying humanoids, trooping fairies, uh, occult crime, weird weather, aberrant social behavior, um, the list goes on and on, crypto stuff, Bigfoot, um, unexplained uh, dimensional type portal activity, uh, Native American sacred sites, the list goes on and on and on, and that's why I wrote three books about it. So anyway, I have always, for, for ever since I, I started getting involved in the early 90s there, I've always had this this just wish and, and goal of, of attempting to put together a surveillance net uh, around the valley. The valley is so open and so, you know, it's just so pristine there. If you get up on, on the foothills, you can see almost 300 miles uh, and, and, and it's just unencumbered. There's no... There's no trees in the middle of the valley, very few trees. Um, there's no, you know, nothing blocks your line of sight to the horizon. And so initially when I tried to cost out what it would cost to put in a triangulated or two or three camera um, surveillance net there, the cost was somewhere uh, upwards of a million dollars uh, to do it properly with the level of technology and the cost of that technology back in the 90s. Now that cost is all the way down and we can do it. Um, we're going to be end up spending about ten, twelve thousand dollars to do this project. And not only do we have pan tilt zoom cameras that are being operated automatically by software, but we also have uh, these. Uh, we call them MS, uh, um, MSDAU or multi sensor data acquisition units, which have um, uh, equipment in there that will measure changes in the Earth's magnetic field, changes in the Earth's gravitational field. Um, we're going to have it all plugged into flight uh, um, radar 24, which will automatically tell us if anything flying around has got transponders, like, you know, regular commercial aviation and military flights, that sort of thing. We're going to be plugged into the uh, NASA meteor site. We're going to be plugged into space.com. So if we do have events, we can go back and, and look at satellite imaging of the area during the time period that we're interested in. This is historic, uh, Alejandro. No one has ever done this before. Uh, it's groundbreaking. I, I posted <laughs> stuff on the internet, you know, about our GoFundMe project and, you know, pictures of the gear and stuff. And it was like, I couldn't believe the roaring silence. <laughs> it's everybody is either, um, they're either, I don't know, in a state of waking coma or they have, uh, it, it's going totally over their head how important this could be. Uh, but very few people have given me a, an attaboy and, hey, way to go. Uh, it, it's it's a little disheartening. I, I think people are more well, interested in going to hoax sites and watching bad uh, character-generated images. There's and, definitely and 
that. I mean, I have that problem with the show because we like to stick with more credible stuff. So, you know, everybody wants to hear about the real wacky, crazy speculation instead of the hard stuff. But I think the other problem you have is a little bit of fatigue in that, you know, uh, we've had these other organizations and people probably are like, oh, we've heard this before because we've had these other organizations say they're going to do this. But you are much further along. I mean, you have the hardware ready to roll, whereas these other groups yep. who say they're going to do something similar still, after all these years, don't have anything to show for it. Yeah, and, and we won't mention any names. <laughs> yeah. But, You're yes, too, and we were very, very fortunate to uh, get our newest team member, uh, a, a computer engineer and uh, inventor and software designer named Ron Olch uh, out in California. He has put in over 5,000 hours de uh, designing our uh, detect motion, uh, uh, follow motion, you know, motion uh, tracking, and also uh, sending signals to the other cameras so that they uh, zoom in on the object. So we have three cameras operating, looking at a particular event. And um, we go into record mode at that point. Emails are sent to, um, you know, the three principals in the project, myself, Ron, and, and Wayne Hollenbeck. We're getting alerts in real time. And uh, when we have the MSDAU packs, uh, you know, all out there in the field, they will then go into record mode and record all those scientific um, uh, changes in the energy fields that I was uh, referring to later or earlier. And then later, we're going to have a, a – um, we have other things planned too. We want to do um, kind of a uh, <laughs> clandestine pulsed radar. Um, we want to have telescopes on uh, pan and tilt platforms. We want um, analog optical uh, gear that has blazed gratings that separate the light into uh, light spectra. Uh, this is science, folks. Um, this is not throwing hubcaps in the air and, and sitting at your computer uh, drawing light balls, uh, flying around uh, punch mm -hmm. hole clouds, uh, that sort of thing. This is real science. If we can replicate the data that we get on more than one event, we will do what Skinwalker Ranch scientists couldn't do, and that is actually write a paper. And get you know combine our efforts with a, a real cre credited uh, scientist, an optical physicist, um, in in other uh, scientific disciplines to actually do uh, a, a paper and publish it. This has never ever been done before. This is potentially historic. I am so proud to be a part of this team. I am so proud of Ron Olch. He's written over ten thousand lines of code. Uh, the software is um, is a poor man's uh, military targeting software, if you will. And, uh, you know, I could go on and on and on talking about the actual technical side of this. But basically what we're going to be able to do is capture hard scientific data of anomalous aerial object uh, uh, events. Well, I and at your GoFundMe, another cool thing that you have, just to kind of show along, first you have pictures of the equipment um, ready to roll. Uh, and then you also have a video, which I think is really cool. Uh, further kind of acknowledgement that you all are, are ready to roll, that you're far along. But this uh, motion tracking software video that you posted there is really cool. Yeah, it's like poor man's military targeting software, basically. Mm -hmm. But the slew rate, it works. Uh, even though it's only, yeah, it's only targeting a plane. I mean, Ron lives in, uh, you know, in the valley there in, in Southern Colorado or Southern California, rather. And so he, he doesn't have the uh, the ability to track fast moving objects like we're going to be seeing in the valley. However, we have tested the slew rate for the uh, the panning of, of the cameras and we can follow uh, really fast motion. Um, 
I, I'm not exactly sure what, what our slew rates are. It depends, obviously, on the size of the object, the distance from the camera, and how fast it's traveling. But I estimate that at, at between 30 and 40 miles, something traveling 10,000 miles an hour will easily be able to be tracked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other, other instrumentation that we're looking at, too, uh, it's very important for people to understand that that um, UFO events or UAP events have other things going on that the human senses can't pick up. In other words, compressed time, ghost imaging, uh, objects moving around faster than uh, than the human eye can, can perceive. Also, acoustic signatures all the way down to 10 cycles. Extremely long, huge bass waves, if you will, extremely low frequency waves, that when objects do dramatic turns, right-hand turns, reversal of direction at high speed, they're impacting the the actual atmosphere sonically. And if you have the proper PZM plate mics set up, you can actually record these um, these acoustic signatures of these objects when they're making these dramatic turns. So, uh, and this is something not many people know. Uh, in the field, even uh, you know, some scientists aren't even aware of this. I think, and um, so you know, we do have plans for phase two to go into even more exotic recording technology um, that include, like I said, the uh, the acoustic wave uh, signature recordings, and also if people would get off their asses and we can get some really good deep pocket funding, we could have long range nitrogen cooled forward-looking, infrared, and actually get some real good heat signature data uh, with you know $20,000 FLIR cameras. People say, well, FLIR isn't that expensive. Yeah, if you want a FLIR camera that looks at 50 feet from you, yeah, you can buy them you know, for fairly inexpensive. But if you want something that's going to be looking and imaging objects out at 50 miles, it's a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we have a lot of plans for this. You know, If, if I can get the public uh, to get their collective head, um, <laughs> well, put their collective hands in their wallets, then maybe we could really take this to the next level. But, uh, hey, you know, it's roaring silence, lots of uh, yawns and and people going, oh, that's cool, man. It's like, well, yeah, it is cool, but um, be a part of the solution, not a continuing part of the problem. Well, you know, although you do say that, you've done fairly well. I mean, already you only have 13 people donating, but they're all putting in like a big, pretty big chunk you've got. $1,200, which isn't too bad. And I think what people should understand also is what you're talking about, the expense that you're talking about is relatively very low. I mean, that is very inexpensive to cover what is literally the largest uh, valley in the United States or or mountain, you know, uh, valley in the United States. No, in the world, the largest alpine valley in the world. Wow. We're going to be covering about 5,000 square miles of, uh, of airspace. Un, unencumbered, uh, with no blockage. Mm-hmm. I mean, horizon to horizon, 360 degrees. And, you know, like you said, and one of the reasons, another reason that this valley is so good for this is that it's very remote. I mean, Taos is pretty popular. Ala, what is Alamosa has a, a small college, but otherwise it's really small. And like you said, there are so many. I had my first UFO sighting there in that valley. Uh, my family goes back in the valley, and the valley's important. In fact, Open Minds, you can find tons of news about the San Luis Valley, mostly about your work. Um, but uh, you can also see on the front page my sighting, because I talked about it at that Comic-Con at Project Blue Book, so I have that video and the photo about my sighting. But that was in the San Luis Valley at the UFO Watchtower, which was created 
you know, kind of before, well, during the lull of really kind of UFO popularity, just because so many people see stuff out there. Right. Well, if, you know, I I, I kind of laugh about the Watchtower, Judy Messaline, who um, who came up with the idea and built it. She had read my book, The Mysterious Valley, and she called me up and said, hey, what do you what would you think if I built something there? And I said, wow, that's so cool. And so I you know, I was going to do her floor. I was going to actually do the the an adobe floor in there for her. But uh, she decided to go with concrete. And uh, and uh, I mean, if I was going to put a watchtower somewhere, that would be the spot because it has a front row. Uh, on the Great Sand Dunes, Blanca and and the Baca Ranch area, um, which is the probably the most uh, per capita, there's more UFO sightings in that section of America than any other spot. And uh, in a, in a valley that has seven or eight people per square mile, and it's you know if you live in Crestone, it's 120 miles round trip just to go to the supermarket. <laughs> wow. Um, th- this is a this is a big, huge open uh, area and with cameras that have 36 times optical zoom and then times three, uh, we're going to be getting some really cool stuff. And I probably shouldn't say this, Alejandro, but I'm, I'm going to go <laughs> out on a limb a little bit. Uh, the whole Sangre de Cristo range, which is the eastern side of the valley uh, from the middle of the valley up to the north part of the valley is the western edge of the La Vida low-flight military operations area where we mm. train all our Air National Guard pilots. And we oh, actually, we test fly exotic black aircraft. But shh, don't tell anybody. Mm. I've It'd had some pretty fun. weird experiences with uh, aircraft <laughs> out there um, <laughs> and in the Sangre de Cristos. In fact, I think one time... We heard this sonic boom before we saw the plane, and then we saw the plane zip by. It was black. I felt at the time, this was in the 90s, we were backpacking right. way up in the hills there. I think it was, I felt it was maybe like an SR-71 or something. It was huge, and it was black. Um, that was a weird experience. Well, we're going to have a front row seat for the MTR, the military training route that goes uh, north to south there along the Sangres. And we're going to be able to capture some really cool natural phenomenon. The Sangre de Cristo is the longest continuous mountain range in the United States. Um, is filled with quartz. And when it gets 40 below in the wintertime with 5% humidity, occasionally the quartz will discharge up into the atmosphere, these piezoelectric discharge, static discharges. And uh, I... To my knowledge, no one has ever been able to photograph that. So it would be historic from a from an actual geolo- mm-hmm. geolo- you know a, a geological scientific point of view to be able to, to record those. Number one, number two, we have I think earthquake fault lights that uh, people like William Corliss, Paul Devereaux, Michael Persinger um, have talked about as being a possible explanation for some not all, some UFO sighting reports, and also the area just north and west of the Great Sand Dunes, right out in front of the Watchtower, is filled with $2 billion worth of methane. Now, if the conditions are right, sometimes methane can can fluoresce. Uh, I'm not sure what the actual scientific process is, but, but it's what Alan Hynek called swamp gas. Yeah. Methane can actually create light and color when it when it uh, is exposed to the right environmental conditions, so not only are we looking for anomalous aerial objects and black, you know, <laughs> our tax dollars flying by, but we're also looking at at um, at 
separating out the wheat from the chaff, separating out natural phenomena, um, things like helicopters flying by, the sun hitting the canopy at the right angle to make it bloom into a, a wonderful silver orb. I have uh, footage of that from our beta test that we did in 2010. We have a camera image of a small helicopter and the sun is hitting the canopy and it turns into this giant kind of silver orb flying by. Um, we want to mm -hmm. be able to use the data to um, factor out false positives and, and really zero in and drill down on what TRUFO, scientific UFO research, is all about. Mm -hmm. It's really exciting. Uh just because, and and let's talk about these timelines. Like, how soon, uh, and what are the next steps? So, how soon will you be uh, deploying? You know, actual equipment. Um, how much money do you need to start that? And uh, and once you get the money, how quickly can you roll those sort of things? Well, in a week and a half. I'm not sure when you're going to be broadcasting, but uh, starting on. Uh, the 16th of September uh, through the 20th, that 40 period, we're going to be putting up two cameras. One is going to be on a cell tower uh, north of Monta Vista on the eastern side of the valley, or the western side, uh, pardon me, western side of the valley. One will be 18 miles away to the to the east at the UFO watchtower. And then I'm going to be setting up the, um, the planning stages of putting a camera at the Great Sand Dunes Oasis, which is located just south of the entrance to the Great Sand Dunes National Park. And that triangulated array is going to be our main array for our first deployment. Now, there's also a chance that I'll be putting up a fourth camera up in Crestone, way high up on the mountains, uh, over a thousand feet above the valley floor to kind of overlook the entire triangulated uh, camera array as a fourth kind of, uh, you know, God in the sky kind of camera, if you will. Now, that's, that's um, phase one is the first two cameras. Phase two will be next spring will be the, um, the camera out at the Great Sand Dunes Oasis. And we're also going to be putting in our MSDAU, our multi-sensor um, data acquisition unit, which has the, um, the scientific gear that's going to be detecting changes in the mag magnetic field, uh, gravitational field, and all the things I described before. Initially, we're not going to be putting those in. We're still working out the, the triangulation software. Um, that process is undergoing um, uh, its final stages in California as we speak. We do have the gear already built, and uh, we have uh, cameras that are going to be a mile apart overlooking uh, Catalina Island up on the cliffs of San Pedro. And we're going to be uh, finishing up our, our software development for triangulation there uh, for the actual um, MSDAU units. And then next spring, we're going to put those uh, one, possibly two of those units into the valley. And we're going to put the second or uh, the third camera at the Great Sand Dunes Oasis and possibly a fourth camera in Crestone. Those two cameras we already have. We already have the MSDAU uh, units. And, uh, and then once we get that all together, we're going to come up with a price list that's going to make it affordable and easy for people who live in a hotspot area or wherever to get their own set of cameras, their own set of, of uh, multi-sensor you know, data acquisition units, the MSDAUs, so that they can set up their own uh, network uh, at Mount Adams, uh, Mount Shasta, the White Sands in New Mexico, Dulce, the Hudson Valley. There's all sorts of places that are, are already interested in getting these units once we demonstrate the viability of it. So ultimately, our plan is to provide the equipment for these networks and slowly expand across the country in, in hotspot areas. 
and then hopefully even expand worldwide, get some units over into Europe, get some units in South America, get some units uh, in Hawaii and other places that, that have, you know, pretty consistent activity. So this is not just a <laughs> just a back backyard San Luis Valley vanity project uh, by any stretch. We're, we really have big plans. And, of course, it's all going to be hinged on interest, um, funding, and these sort of things. In terms of funding – we don't need really uh, too much money to do what we're set to do here in a couple of weeks. Uh, I basically have my my uh, my my gear, and I have enough expense money to uh, to travel there and and actually do the installations, pay people to install cameras, pay internet costs, pay maintenance costs for the next year. All this is already covered. What we're doing now is is trying to continue the GoFundMe process so we can build more. Sensing units, buy more cameras, um, keep working on the software, make it more and more sophisticated. As as we dial it in and we get it, we get it really uh, tweaked and and set and ready to go. We want to start expanding the capabilities. We want to start adding in these new sensing units. We want to make sure that our interfacing with flight, uh, you know, radar twenty four and the the NASA uh, bull eyed projects and stuff that we. We we want to be working with. We want right. to make sure that we've got that to go all to these break. things are integrated. So Pardon we'll me? be we got to go to break. So we'll be right back to talk more about okay. this. We've got Chris O'Brien here, and we're talking um, about this exciting project, the UFO data acquisition project. So we'll be talking about that more as soon as we come back. If you're on KGRA, then you'll hear some commercials. For the rest of you, you'll hear a short musical interlude. We'll be right back with Chris O'Brien. Welcome back to Open Mind UFO Radio. I'm your host, Alejandro Rojas, and we're talking to Chris O'Brien. And uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but this is also cool about your GoFundMe, Chris, is that it says, at least currently, that your campaign is trending. So hopefully we can keep that going, because I think that helps you get more visibility as well. Uh, uh, yeah, hopefully. Um, again, I, I just I, I don't think people realize how significant this particular project really is. There's never been anything like it in the history of ufology. The only thing that comes close is the uh, the famous or notorious uh, Hasdaland project in Norway. And what separates us from them is we're triangulated. They only have single units working. And um, they pretty much kind of have a – I think they're dialing in the fact that they're looking at natural phenomena there. The, the valley there does not have the kind of uh, variety and intensity of activity that we see in the San Luis Valley and other places. Um, and that's what separates us from their uh, project. But, uh, you know, again, we really 
tip our hats to Jacques Vallée and his efforts in the 70s to try to put uh, you know cameras up in Happy Valley, California. Of course, the indomitable Ray Stanford, who kind of led the way really in 73 with the Project Starlight effort, they, they got $2 million together to have recording video cameras, lasers, radar, all sorts of stuff, and they had success. Um, Ray is our chief consultant. Um, he's one of our uh, chief analysts um, who's going to be helping analyze our, our data once we start collecting it. And, uh, you know, Jacques Vallée has uh, given us some suggestions and has been very kind in his, uh, you know, his um, help. Uh, we have other, Ron Regeer, of course, who uh, worked for Aerojet and Douglas Aircraft and helped design, um, you know, engineering manuals for some of our most classified satellite technology and, you know, helped design the second stage of Apollo, uh, the Saturn V and, um, he's uh, a very close friend and also one of our, our, um, our, you know, really valuable advisors and consultants. So, you know, we do have a team that's um, that's supporting us not only from the day-to-day development um, side, but also from the conceptual and and then of course once we start collecting data on the analytical side as well, which is also as as important. Mm-hmm. Once you have something like, is there a, a- one place where you're going to be putting out information to the public as you hopefully capture interesting stuff, even if you're able to debunk it, or even if it's not that, you know, it's not exotic. Like, for example, um, I'm sure you're going to get, because the skies are so huge there, if anybody goes and looks at pictures at the Watchtower, or even go to Google and maps and look at it, you'll see pictures that are amazing. But, um, you're probably going to get great like meteorites and uh, well, other yeah. <laughs> just really cool, cool videos. Are, is there going to be a place yeah. where you're going to be putting all that up? Yeah. Initially, we were going to have a live streaming situation. Um, and that was that, that's really kind of, you know, our was on our wish list. But the more we talk to the scientific community and people that really, you know, we respect, they they're telling us that you can't you can't have a live feed because people are going to grab stuff. Um, they're going to you know, make a big deal out of false positives. They'll mm. take your footage and superimpose bad CG and claim it's real. It, it just opens up too many balls of wax. So initially what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a page on my website, Our Strange Plant, will be the initial uh, home for the project. But I want to put together, and I'm working with a, a, you know, a, a web page uh, developer to uh, have a dedicated page for the project. And each of the cameras deployments will have their own section of the uh, the website so the initial obviously the initial um, section will be the San Luis Valley the second one will be uh, San Pedro um, off Catalina Island and the third uh, hopefully will be up in Washington State around the Trout Lake uh, Mount Adams area or possibly on the other side of the uh, Cascades over at the Yakima Indian Reservation just north of the Hanford nuclear site um, that's those are the first two additional places that we're looking at so each one of those once we get deployments they will have their own section in the website and as soon as we have something that we feel we've identified let's say that's not exotic like uh, meteors uh cool bird uh footage that 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 maybe had our uh, scratching our heads for a while or Hmm. or maybe some tax dollar uh, stuff flying by (laughs) well we'll have to have to think about that but you know the the false positive stuff we want to put up there and show people how you can be fooled by naturally occurring things and 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 what to look for to id these things and uh, once we get something really cool and exotic then 
you know, the whole analytical uh, process will go full speed ahead and we'll, we'll be uh, analyzing the information. We'll be, um, you know, b- very carefully and painstakingly logging the information in a scientific manner. Um, we'll be able to then um, uh, hopefully get some peer review and uh, <clears throat> we'll see about that. But at some point, obviously, then um, this stuff will be, um, uh, you know, we, we want to be as transparent as we as we can possibly be. And this stuff obviously will be made available to the public. One of the things that I've suggested is to have a second camera along with the the real, you know, heavy-duty scientific camera, but have a second camera that that is streaming live on the internet, so people can kind of tune in when they want, mm-hmm. um, but doesn't have all the bells and whistles that the uh, the expensive gear has. Yeah, because it does make sense. Unfortunately, as you and I know um, and are uh, always frustrated with, there are so many people who do fake videos, and they're very popular. And, you know, uh, we have to field questions about these stupid fake video sites all the time um, because they're out there. So it's unfortunately a really big concern that I'm sure, you know, whoever advised you is is right. And you know this as well, that people will take your videos and then add CG UFOs and claim they're real. And unfortunately, more people are prone to believe that than the real stuff. (laughs) It's funny how that works, isn't mm-hmm. it? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, well, yeah, that is uh, a major concern. And, you know, we do really want this to be as open source. We're going to supply uh, the public with all our codes. All our software designs will be available for anybody that wants it. It's all open source. We're going to attempt, uh, when we sell these packages, to do it as to keep the price down as far down as possible so it's affordable you know ron obviously is is spending a lot of time on you know on his own dime doing this work so we want to give him at least a minimum amount of money to be uh, you know fab- fabricating these these uh sensor packages and uh, you know so we're gonna have to add a little bit on there but a, a full system could be as low as twenty five hundred dollars mm-hmm. now that's amazing mm-hmm. when you think about it the amount of science for $2,500 that you could have in a package like this means that a lot of people could afford to set this up in a proper location in their neck of the woods and and, and become part of a, of a solution, not exacerbate uh, you know the problem, which is all these poor people out there mesmerized by bad CG and flying hubcaps <laughs> and, and bird shots at the right angle. Um, it's just it's it's so disheartening and it, i i know you know what i'm saying alejandro mm-hmm. it's such it's just so frustrating to know that the average level of education in this field in the public is going down mm-hmm. <laughs> leaps and bounds and uh this project will be an attempt to not only capture some of this stuff uh, as it flies by um and analyze it properly and and present it to the scientific community in a way that's irrefutable that's the main goal but 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 the other goal is to educate people this is not a ufo this is these events even though they look impressive are are really not what we're looking at with what we're looking for these are these are you know, bolides. These are uh, earthquake lights. This is piezoelectric effects. These are swamp gas. This is insects flying by close to the camera. Birds flying by further away. Um, you know, glitches in software. You know, all this stuff is going to be uh, you know at, at, at fairly good resolution. So you, you don't have all that YouTube compression that people 
you know, think that it it makes people's eyes look like like lizards and just so <laughs> much, you know, BF ignorance. I, I hate to say it, you know, but man, there's a lot of people out there that really don't know their ass from a hole in the ground when it comes to analyzing something in an intelligent, educated manner. Yes, frustrating, no doubt. But um, is this what you're going to be talking about also at uh, Devil's Tower this weekend? Yes, I'm going to be talking about the San Luis Valley, give people kind of some background on the location, and then dive right into the project and uh, hopefully, you know, generate some excitement and also get some feedback from yourself and Karen and Mark D'Antonio and David Weatherly and David Marler and Lee Spiegel and, you know, the other speakers there. I can't wait to bounce some of this stuff off, talk a little shop, do a little inside baseball and find out what you guys think. Uh, some ideas that you might have, concerns you might have, suggestions. Um, that's invaluable for me because I really respect everybody that's going to be there. And I really want to, uh, to um, you know, make this as much of a, a team effort as possible. That reminds me, because, uh, you know, Mark is, is working on kind of a, a project, a side project that is the same. Of course, they've been working on this for years, um, and they haven't finished their system yet. But UFOTOG. Yeah, UFOTOG. So hopefully, you know, we've had him on probably at least once a year to talk about it for the last few years, and, and they're still working on it. But um, have you – I mean, I would imagine – are you open? Let's say the there are other groups, such as the other groups who are, are uh, wanting to attempt something like this. Say, hey, Chris, we you've already got something rolling. You've proven it, it, it's a good system and it's working. Can we jump on board and help you maybe uh, fix designs and, and incorporate this and in, in to our network as well? Please, please, <laughs> yes. Yes, I, I'm a team player. There's so many people running around thinking that they own the, the process. My, you know, my proverbial dung uh, doesn't stink. Uh, I'm the coolest guy on the block, blah, blah, blah. I don't like that kind of uh, iconoclastic standalone thinking. Uh, this isn't a tennis match. It's it's a football game, okay? Uh, I'm a team player. I want to work with people. I want to bounce ideas off each other. I don't want any sort of ego involved in all this. There's too many egos in this field, Alejandro, and that's what creates a lot of the divisions. You know, people say, well, this is my turf. I don't want you to. I am open for any and all critiques, comments, suggestions, help, uh, collaborations, requests for my my advice and my help. I, I'm willing to, to be all things for all projects. And anything I can do to help them, I am more than happy to do it. In fact, I'd be honored to. That and I think that's exciting because I know you've had you've you've already made offers like this to the other organizations out there, and you know I'm sure everybody's like yeah yeah everybody's trying to do this. But what what gives you what what's great is you're the first out of the gate to actually make it happen, and that's really important. Um, yeah. And these others haven't, so you're going to have information and and processes that are and experiences that are going to be invaluable to everyone. So I yeah, hope yeah. that helps them take the, take you more seriously, and then be like, okay, well, he's got this role, and maybe we do need to um, just jump on board and help <laughs> him out, and or at least pay attention. Because if they're excited about 
you know, the projects genuinely, um, then, you know, what they'll want, they'll be excited for you and your project and that you've made it thus far. And, and it is exciting that finally we'll be able to start to get things. And I have a feeling that you're going to get some really cool video for, pretty quickly. Well, and not only really cool video, but we're going to get really cool uh, scientific data about changes in the Earth's magnetic, gravitational, and acoustic fields. Mm-hmm. That's... I mean, the, the optical stuff is fun. The camera stuff is fun. But the real meat and potatoes data and stuff that scientists start slobbering over <laughs> is the kind of sensory data that we're really after. I mean, the optical stuff is cool because then it says, hey, look, we have all these changes in the Earth's uh, you know, energetic processes, and this is what it looks like. Um, it's, you know, the, the, the uh, you know, what's the, the cliche at, uh, 4th of July, uh, ooh, ah, oh, gee, ooh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's all fine and dandy. It's the real data on graphs, stuff that you can, you know, take to the, take to the, uh, optical physics, uh, journal and stuff that can be, uh, taken to Goddard Space Flight Center and the Jet Propulsion Lab, places like that. That's. That's what we're interested in. Mm-hmm. That's exciting stuff. Um, and the the other, I think, I think that's what makes yeah this really really important. And, and where you're going to be is important. And the you might, I mean, you're hitting on all of the big stuff. First of all, having the right equipment and the right uh, sensory uh, data to collect. And then also the price point, uh, of course, is really important because I can see businesses uh, even throughout the valley. Or individuals. So, for instance, because Dulce is, is such a hot spot and it's such a big – everybody's curious about Dulce. It would probably take no problem to get someone to donate $2,500 to put in a, 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 a unit we'll buy there. buy gear to put into Dulce, yeah, and then it costs to put it in and maintain it. Now, Dulce, by, you know, as the crow flies, is only about 50 miles away from the valley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People forget that. You know, Dulce is kind of the red herring. Hey, everybody look over here while the real stuff's going on in the SLV. I've been saying that for years. Yeah. But you're right. Dulce, Dulce is a great place because there's lots of very close in. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a more concentrated area. Um, it, it, and it has more of an opportunity to put up eye in the sky type, uh, you know, camera positions um, that would be able to cover a smaller area, but but really effectively. So Dulce is, you know, high up on our list. Um, White Sands around Oscura Peak um, outside of the White Sands Proving Grounds is another area that we're very interested in. I have interest uh, uh, from Pine Bush in New York, Hudson Valley stuff. Um, the Black Hills of South Dakota, where we're going to be next week, is also a uh, notorious UFO hotspot. You don't hear about it as much because, you know, like the San Luis Valley, people see, see stuff there all the time, and it's almost normal for them. So, you know, they don't report it because it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's like, why report something that we see all the time? Um, people don't understand that um, places like the San Luis Valley that is number one in the uh, North America for per capita sightings. There's 274 events uh, cited for every 10,000 uh, people in, in the population. Uh, but I think, and I would guess, that less than one in 50 or 60 sightings is reported in the San Luis Valley. So whenever you see any numbers of reports, I have somewhere around 600 that have 10 bits of data that I can uh, that I can rely on, you know, that, that can go into my database, times that by 50, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And uh, if you go to the, uh, if you go to um, uh, my OnStellar uh, site, 
um, or you go to my website, OurStrangePlanet.com, you'll notice in there that there's a map that it took me quite a while to put together that has all the sighting reports that I investigated from 92 to 2002. Each one of the saucers you see on that map is five reports. So that'll give you an idea of how intense the activity can be when stuff is really, really popping around there. Back in the 90s, I got as many as 17 reports in one day, just to give you an idea of how intense it can get there at times. And we have a recent, the last month, there's been a dozen reports that we have, including a couple of good photographs. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to hit that, that nice fall wave. Usually it's fall and, and spring where the, the, the waves happen. And uh, we're hoping that we, uh, we can surf that wave and get some really good quality stuff um, by the end of November, beginning of December. So on your map, just about at the New Mexico border on the south end of, of the valley, uh, you have a section that is labeled um, Investigate at Your Own Risk. Yeah. And there's one just to the east of the Sangre de Cristos, again, along the border with New Mexico and Colorado, that uh, is also labeled that way. And, and why are they labeled that way? Well, number one, there are holes in my data. Uh, mm. I have a real hard time uh, investigating in those areas for various reasons. And um, also, it's where there's a lot of suspicious kind of government stuff going on, military stuff. And mm -hmm. uh so well, I know one of those hills there, because uh, I used to drive this all the time when I lived in Denver. My mom was in uh, Albuquerque. I would drive through the valley. Plus, I would go there to vacation every summer at the, the sand dunes once or twice. Um, Rick, our buddy Rick, you know, has that monthly or yearly event that I go to as well, where he has camping out there and sky watching and yeah, stuff. Rick but uh, Nelson and the Paradigm Group, yeah. I remember, I think it's Ute Mountain or, or the, uh, I think one called Turtle Mountain where people suspect there's something under it, huh? Yeah, Ute Mountain is a uh, suspect, Mount, uh, San Antonio Peak, which is a sister mountain that's below Antonito. Uh, that's where all the Bigfoot reports come from, from there up the Coneas uh, Canyon area. Ute Mountain is right near the Rio Grande um, Gorge, and uh, we've had reports of helicopters flying in and not flying out and helicopters flying out, but no uh, apparent reason why they should be there. Um, these are areas that, uh, you know, Donald Rumsfeld has an elk ranch. Ted Turner has a uh, big, huge spread. Uh, hmm. You know, I could, um, I could go on and on uh, privately about these areas, but uh, prefer to kind of leave it a little bit uh, nebulous here on, on uh, you know, the radio. <laughs> yeah, beautiful area too. All of that, Dulce, all of that area is so gorgeous. But uh, yeah. we are out of time. But thank you so much. You definitely have an advocate in me. So I, as much as possible, will be out there trying to promote this. Um, I've already shared. Well, I appreciate that on all our social media. Your GoFundMe, but well, yeah, let me go ahead and give that GoFundMe address because mm -hmm. I know there's people out there. Alejandro, that think like we do, that, that really want to see this field move forward, not become stagnant. Go to GoFundMe.com forward slash UFO, D as in dog, A as in apple, P as in project, UFO, D-A-P, uh, dash, S-L-V for San Luis Valley. So GoFundMe.com forward slash UFO, D-A-P, dash, S-L-V. Thanks a lot. All right. My pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on again. 
hey, I can't wait to to hang with you guys and uh, and uh, you know kick this whole thing around here next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've never be been great. to Devil's Towers, so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, it's gorgeous! You're, it's amazing. I know. <laughs> I can't wait. Thank you so much to Chris O'Brien for joining us on the show. Uh, Really interesting stuff. I'm so excited about his program. If you want to help him out, which I encourage you to do so because really he's gotten the cost down very low and it's worth it. I mean, uh, it's so great that he's made this affordable as well as making it functional. So if you go to GoFundMe, you can look for UFO DAP for the San Luis Valley. Just type in UFO DAP and you should be able to find it. You can also find out more information at his website, rstrangeplanet.com. And if you got the time, you can also find out more at the Devil's Tower UFO Rendezvous this weekend, the 13th to the 15th. Chris, myself, Lee Spiegel, Mark D'Antonio, um, uh, David Marler, and of course, the lovely Karen Brard doing her first lecture there at the event. It should be a ton of fun. We were there last year, and the people hosting are just so nice. It's such a gorgeous town, and of course, Devil's Tower is an amazing, amazing structure there, uh, natural phenomena happening there in the middle of these beautiful woods in Wyoming. So that's going to be a lot of fun. In other news, Skinwalker. So the Hunt for the Skinwalker movie comes out today. So most of you are hearing this on the 11th. So today is the day the movie comes out. And along with the movie, we're going to have exclusive content. So I went on that secret project, right, to go to the premiere of the movie in Las Vegas. I can't even tell you everybody who was there. But George Knapp was there, and so was Colm Kelleher. The, uh, these are both the authors of the original book, Hunt for the Skinwalker. And uh, a bunch of other people were there. It's, this documentary is so important. And you'll see some exclusive interviews on YouTube with me and Jeremy and George Knapp. You'll also see these on Den of Geek. But uh, if you follow me, then uh, you'll see all of these great interviews with these guys to talk about why this documentary is so important. And those of you who read the book or have been following my work already know why. So this is really, really exciting stuff. So keep an eye out for that. Um, the UFO Congress. We talked about once UFO Congress, the new YouTube page got up to a thousand subscribers. We'd have some giveaways. So keep an eye if you are on YouTube. If you haven't subscribed yet, go do that. If you are a subscriber, we're going to message you through there if you're the winner of a t-shirt or an alien glow-in-the-dark hat. And we have a new video about that glow-in-the-dark hat on that YouTube channel for UFO Congress. So go there and check it out. It's found footage. Freaky. You're going to love it. So uh, UFO Congress YouTube page. Check that out. You can follow me on Patreon as well. And you'll be up to date on all of this. So everything I'm doing, I'm putting on my Patreon page for everybody to see. We've also got a couple exclusive videos on there um, that you have to be a, a patron to be able to see. And being a patron very not very expensive and it helps me out a ton because it lets me focus on getting more content out and I'm getting so much more out. Devil's Tower, I'm going to have a bunch of exclusive um, interviews. It's uh, it's going to be great. So I'm just getting out this content for you like crazy. So if you want to help me out, you know, you can just send me Give me a buck, for God's sakes. Uh, that would be helpful. Or go buy a t-shirt or something like that. Uh, all of this information you can find at openminds.tv. But I do want to thank my Patreon patrons. Amy Brooks, thank you so much. Uh, Andrew Ross, James, Joseph Hallett, 
let's see, Ryan and Waylon. Thank you all so much for being patrons. And uh, if you are a patron, like I said, you can find out everything I'm doing. You can also subscribe to our email list at openminds.tv and also keep up to date on all of this really cool stuff going on because I'm doing more than just UFO stuff. I'm doing space videos, uh, videos uh, kind of on uh, around tech and technology and all of this cool stuff. All of it can be found at my Patreon. So that is it for today. Thank you so much to Caleb Hanks for the opening and the close music. Thank you to Systematics for that bumper music. Thank you to uh, Martin Willis of Podcast UFO for joining us with the news. And of course, thank you to Chris O'Brien. And thank you all for listening. If you're there this weekend, be sure and say hello. But thank you all so much. Uh, Until next time, adios muchachos.